welcome from wherever you're watching from, whenever you're watching from. It is now officially December. Yes, we are right into the Christmas season, and I guess I'm not being very festive today, but whatever. Hey, we're in December. Christmas is right around the corner. We can all ask for the gift of the coronavirus to go away in the new year. Please. In the middle of the message, don't forget, I'm going to put up a slide. The slide's going to have a question on it. When you that question comes up, you can take care of your kids, get some coffee, uh, take a little break if you need to, to kind of take a breath as we're going to go through some information today that may be a little overwhelming, and then kind of come back in after that slide. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. And when you open up Uversion, you, you click on More and then Events. And if you're in our local area, we will come up by GPS in your smartphone. If you're not in our local area, type in the zip code 93455 and that will bring us up. And you will get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, the announcements, really everything that goes with today's message. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. If you are so inclined, wherever you are, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And this is John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would take us, again, no matter where we are watching or participating from and whenever it is, but you would move us with your Spirit to begin to understand the ways that you lead and guide us, and that we would learn to be truly a Spirit-filled people as we live our lives in this world, bringing you great glory as we live our lives under your banner in this world. Teach us to be those who live out lives full of who you are in whatever we do. Amen. Amen. So we are doing this series called The Third Wheel. Uh, If you are newer, uh, this is actually our fourth week of talking about the Holy Spirit. We affectionately are calling it The Third Wheel because many times that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. Like he's that awkward person who showed up and we don't know what to do with him while he's there. Uh, There are churches today who love the Spirit and they speak about the Spirit a lot. uh, But sometimes when they speak about him a lot, they really treat him more like an it and not a person to live in relationship with. Other churches who don't really talk about the Spirit much at all will still say they love Him, but don't really spend a lot of time talking about Him. And what we want to do through this series is understand who the Holy Spirit is better, so we would live in relationship with Him, so we would worship Him as God Almighty. And it seems like every religious persuasion has skewed the idea of the Holy Spirit of God in some way. And throughout this series, I'm going to try and remedy some of that, but I'm not going to answer all of your questions. What I want to do for you is I want to lay a foundation so that we know who God's Spirit is, and then as God leads us in certain ways, we would know if it's His leading or not based upon the things that we have learned. And I'm sure there's going to be places where you will say, oh, I wished Aaron talked about this or that. You're more than welcome to email in your questions, and we will answer those when this whole thing is over. But again, I want to do my best to give you an overall biblical picture of who the Spirit is and what He does. And so far we have talked about the word Spirit, what it is, where it comes from, then a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Then the next week we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does in the world. Last week we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper into that. And I have read a lot of things, I've listened to a lot of things. You all know I love Tim Keller, and all these things are going to start coming 
coming out in the messages as we go through these. But it's important to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he leads and guides us. And again, I want to move us forward a bit in that understanding. When people talk about the Spirit of God, as Christians, we tend to fall into three different categories when that comes up. Uh, The first one is that we don't really know what to believe. Like, we've heard this thing of the Holy Spirit, but we want to know, but we don't really know everything. And so we see ourselves maybe as someone who's trying to pull it all together just a little bit. And this could be someone who is just a brand new Christian, starting to follow Jesus, and they hear about the Holy Spirit and the Father. It's like, okay, what is all this? Help me to put this all together. So we're trying to bring it together. And what the Holy Spirit does there is he starts moving us to understand who God is better through all of that. We start to understand that Christianity is not just a set of more beliefs. It's not just a doctrinal stance. It's actually a real vibrant relationship with God himself that the Spirit himself leads us into. Living with God is meant to be a whole life experience. And then there are other people who come along and they are sure they belong to God. They, they believed, they know the Holy Spirit is residing in them, but they really don't know fully what it means to walk in his ways. And whether you have a church background or not, there's this conviction that we do belong to God himself. And we want to have our eyes wide open. And so we're saying, just tell me the way to go, lead me, and that's the direction I will go. I want to learn. The problem becomes, though, is once you're in a church for any length of time, that church has a culture. And that culture is going to start speaking things about who the Spirit is, and you're going to be drawn along certain directions. And what you'll quickly find is there are so many divisions over who the Spirit is and how He works in us and what all of that means. Like some people will say that, oh, this church is a Spirit-filled church, or are you a Spirit-filled believer? And when people say that to me, it always makes me laugh because a church wouldn't be a church if the Spirit wasn't in it. And we wouldn't be believers if the Spirit doesn't reside in us. We must understand what the Spirit does in our lives. And that term can be confusing and can be used to divide people. And so some people just kind of throw their hands up in the air and kind of give up and never really want to talk about it at all. There's a third kind of people who kind of fall into the place of experienced Christians. You've been walking with Jesus for a while, but sometimes even people there wonder why after all the years of walking with Jesus, they aren't further along to where they think they should be. Like you may be hearing or listening to God's leading and guiding, but you think it should be stronger or you think it should be more or think it should be different than it is. And sometimes people think to be filled means that God burns a bush in front of your house every day. We have all these ideas of what the Spirit does, so we want to answer the question. What does the Spirit actually do as He is the one that leads and guides us? So you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, understanding the Spirit becomes so timely for us in the culture in which we live. And so what I want to do today is, is a couple things. I, I want to do talk about things we skimmed over last week. But if you're a note taker, I'll lay this out for you pretty easily today of what we're going to do. The first thing I want to do is talk about why it isn't so important for us to understand the Spirit ourselves as we speak into our culture, why that is important. Secondly, I want to dive a little bit deeper on what the Spirit does, kind of things we talked about last week, but a little bit deeper in that. And then last week, I want to, and then last I want to talk about the how of the Holy Spirit, like how 
how he actually leads and guides us in, in the most mundane, normal ways of everyday life. Because it's true that he is here and he leads and he guides. So what's the best way that we can see him do that? Now, as we walk through this, again, I may not answer all of your questions. And contrary to popular opinion, I don't have all the answers. I know, shocker in that. But let's just kind of start walking through this and see where we go. Same verses we looked at last week, Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Uh, This is also the word for debauchery in the NIV, or the King James Version will use the word excess. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse starts off with the command, don't get drunk on wine. Now, And that's the negative part of it. And some people have looked at this and said, oh, you're never supposed to drink. That's not what Paul is saying. Other people have taken this and they said, well, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And they start throwing this term around being drunk in the Spirit. That's also not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, when you are filled with the Spirit, it's going to lead to four things in our lives. First off is speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I know you're probably thinking, what does that even mean? Do we have to live our lives like it's a Disney movie and we're walking around just singing to everybody? No, what it means is that the scriptures have so infused our lives that how we speak to one another and how we live comes directly out of that. The next thing that it says is that we will be uh, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Okay, well, is that like an internal Disney movie where I'm always singing inside? No, it's the ideas that our lives and hearts are beating in time with who God is like the melody of who God is is the melody of who we are and we're living and walking in time with each other and then the next thing it says is always giving thanks to God the Father for everything the Spirit leads us to places where we have hope no matter where we are that we give thanks to God no matter the situation we find ourselves in and actually there's a little bit after this that goes with it that also then and says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ That's also what the Spirit brings, that we submit to one another, that we love one another in ways that we come alongside each other and remind each other of who God is and what the gospel brings. And this is then very important. What is the importance of this? Well, being filled with the Spirit really is that experiential side of a life with God. It is emotional how these things come together and it will come out in how we live and act. Like some people liken it to, and they said this in the past, to the mysticism of the Christian faith. And we get so scared when we hear words like mysticism and Christian faith coming together. There were whole, uh, a whole group of people that were called for a very long time the mystics of the Christian faith. And that freaks us out today because we don't like those words. But the people who were mystics, they were the ones who were looking at the deep mysteries of who God is. There was this term that was used that was called the mysterium tremendum. And that was the awe-inspiring mystery of God. And I think the reason this experience of the Spirit is so important is because of the type of culture that we live in today. Like in our culture today, we want everything reduced to simple steps to get the results that we want. Uh, think of that old movie like Rain Man, right? You got somebody, they would count cards, and then they would go to Vegas and count all the cards and make all kinds of money because you could count all the cards in, in Vegas. Well, that doesn't really work, and Vegas still makes their money. But what we want to do is kind of take everything and reduce it down so we can quantify it and put it in a box and use it so we get what we want out of it. We are a technological society, and that's what we 
we do. And we want to now reduce God himself to a box that we can define and that we can understand. And if we do these things and put these certain things in, well, then we'll get these other things out on the other side. A couple of weeks ago, that's why I tried to talk about who the Trinity is and that we can never put God in a box because we can never fully understand who he is. But in our society like ours, we have this deep emphasis today on the external, meaning we tend to focus on image more than anything else. Like today for us, image is everything. Look at people's Facebook feeds or their Instagram feeds or all those things. It's all in the external. Uh, the weight loss industry is growing year after year. 2018, it was a $72.7 billion industry. And I don't know what it was in 2019 or 20, but I know those numbers have just gone up. Physical appearance is so much more important to, to us today than it was just a couple decades ago. Like even today, there are so many more hair restoration clinics than there ever used to be in the history of the world. Last week, I talked about politics just a little bit, not like who you could vote for or anything like that, but how in politics, how you perceived is so much more important than your character or what you actually believe. And because of this, you start to see politicians today just say the goofiest things to get people to want to vote for them. Like earlier this year, I was watching the Democratic national debates, these primary debates. Republicans didn't have one because they only had one candidate this year, but the Democrats had all these people on, on the stage. And they're all trying to outdo the other people of who could be more liberal in certain things. Like it was like, well, I believe in two genders. Well, I believe in three. Well, I believe in four. Well, I believe in ten. And it's like people who had a stance just like the week before would completely change their stance on stage when answering questions because it was all about perception. How do I get people to vote for me and not what people actually believe? And I kind of walked away from that thinking, I don't know what any of these people believe. It's so hard to know because today elections are not won through substance or issues. They're run, run through images and handlers and PR. And we put all this emphasis today on image and on the external and not on substance or the internal. And the result, even though a lot of people may not realize it, is that we're looking for something deeper. We are people who actually want something more. People want a real spiritual experience, something that connects them with the divine, with the infinite. And this is kind of funny because experts have said for years that with a scientific society like ours, eventually religion would slowly die out. And it hasn't happened. It's actually gotten stronger. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, at the founding of our country, he believed that within 50 years, everybody in America would be Unitarian uh, if they had a religion at all because Unitarian, doesn't, they don't care what you believe. You don't even have to believe in God to be a Unitarian. It's like everybody's just going to be this because we're growing so much in science and, and technology. But what happened? No, religion actually grew in America upwards of 50, 60 years ago. Again, they're saying the same thing. As our culture gets more scientific, more people are going to leave this idea of religion and spirituality, but America has become more spiritual than they ever have before. And again, not necessarily Christianity, but just anything that gives people the idea they can connect with the universe or the divine or whatever it is, from Wicca to the New Age movement to meditation to various bizarre churches and cults to a CrossFit, you know, things like that. I'm not condoning anything. I'm just saying this is how it is. 
And what happened in the American church 50, 60 years ago is they started to pull back from the supernatural. They started to move towards places of of mundane, and we tried to explain everything through scientific means. And not that there's a problem with that. I think science is great. I think the Bible and science goes hand in hand. I think the Bible tells us that God created an order to everything, and that helps science. And I think science can help us to understand the Scriptures better. But a lot of churches were afraid of this idea of the supernatural, so they started to run away from it. And as soon as they did, people started actually leaving churches. Because people are looking for that spiritual experience in our society today. The church tried to move itself to this place that was called the modern era. But as soon as the church arrived in the modern era, society moved on to what we called postmodern. And it's like, hey, we arrived. Where did everybody go? We missed the party. And everybody kind of moved on. And now the church is trying to move to a postmodern place and society is now becoming post-postmodern and they're going to miss it all over again. Instead of just living on the sure foundation of who God is and the gospel and where he leads us, we're trying to chase after things. We need to sit secure where God has called us to be. We do not need to be a people who who chase all these modern things. We need to be those who understand how the Spirit leads because when we stand secure, we can speak about what that looks like in the world in true ways. Uh, Think about this. Uh, People think the Catholic Church itself doesn't really change. Well, 50, 60 years ago, they did the same thing. They started to to de-supernaturalize themselves. And if you go to other places in the world, like Guatemala, 50, 60 years ago, Guatemala was maybe 3 to 5% evangelical. Now, today, it's 40 to 50% because people are looking. And this is what the Spirit of God does in believers. It brings about the experiential side of the Christian faith. And I know when I start to say the experiential side of the Christian faith, people get really freaked out about that. Uh, they think of Pentecostal church services and barking and, and laughing and looking like someone strapped you into some sort of automated rowing machine. That is not what I am talking about when I say experience. What I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit takes us and experientially makes us be in relationship with God himself. And so we can offer people this understanding of true experience with who God is in the world. Because people's wanting to connect to something more, it is actually growing. And all of these so-called experts in the world today who said that we were going to outgrow our urge for connection with God because of science and technology, they are all wrong. Why? Because we are a people who are made of a body and a spirit that comes together. And we have an unquenchable hunger for the supernatural. This is deep within the human heart. And this is why we need to be a people who are able to discern between spiritual experiences in a healthy way. And God's spirit takes us as those who love and follow Jesus and helps us to be able to discern and help people around us to do that as well. Years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a space trilogy. Uh, The first book was called Out of the Silent Planet. The last one is called That Hideous Strength. The Hideous Strength is much different than the first two books. But in this, he kind of shows this phenomenon that we actually have today, where philosophers and scientists are coming to realize there is something so much more that we cannot measure all of reality. 
that they are now even showing that there is more to reality that they can even wrap their minds around. And many scientists are becoming open to the idea of the supernatural, of something more. C.S. Lewis writes it like this. The work of philosophers and historians of science in this century has shown that all the work of science rests on faith commitments that themselves cannot be demonstrated by methods of science. For example, science assumes that the universe is rational and coherent, and for every effect there is a cause, but this can't be proven, and the perfect example is that of the beginning of the universe is a boundary event for science. Either a God outside the universe, an uncaused cause began things, or matter itself is eternal. That would make matter an uncaused cause, an impossibility by the scientific method. So there's no way to scientifically explain the beginning of things, how it clearly happened in a way that defies scientific principles. In face of this, the very idea that every effect has a cause, rational and coherent, is therefore a faith commitment, improvable by scientific proof. And this is why, today, even among the most scientific that are out there, the the brightest and, and biggest minds, they're coming to a place where their hearts are craving something more. It is just like the book of Ecclesiastes says, we were made for something more, and that something more is actually a someone. And so when we hear of spiritual experience, yes, sometimes people get freaked out because a lot of nutty people have done a lot of nutty things out there. But we have to understand that there is a real experience that the Holy Spirit brings as he places us in relationship with God. And when all these different kind of things go around, some people, again, they throw their hands up and they say, well, I'm just done with this. It's all a bunch of, bunch of hooey. But we need to understand that people are looking. And so we must be able to step into those places, understanding how God is leading and guiding us with his spirit. And then we can speak to people about this real relationship that is actually there. And we can take people to the word of God. Because the word of God has enabled people for thousands of years to make distinctions between valid and invalid supernatural experiences. And this is one of the big reasons we need to talk about the Holy Spirit and what he does. Because he is relevant to our lives and he is relevant to world and we must be a people who understand him in such a way that we can step into these conversations and have real conversations with those around us. So I'm going to give you a little break here for my question. You can take a, a deep breath and kind of process some of that if you need to hit pause or, or whatever. But, but here's my question. How have you seen other people, and this could even be yourself if it's you, but how have you seen other people search for this spiritual connection because they know there's something more? And, and maybe that's you yourself. Maybe this is your journey of feeling or looking for this thing that God brought you to himself through the midst of that. And then maybe in looking how people are, are looking around for the spiritual connection, how could we as believers who have the Holy Spirit residing in us help them to also come along and see that God is calling people to himself? So that's my question. Take a moment for that. All right, so, so moving on. Let's get back into the marks of the Holy Spirit and what he is actually doing in us because obviously not every spiritual or religious high is the fullness of the Spirit. So how do we know what actually is? Well, we talked about this last week a bit. And there's essentially you know, two big marks that sometimes sound contradictory, but they are marks of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is that it is a life of authenticity and control. And secondly, it is that life of emotion 
and, and, and stimulation that God's Spirit brings. And I know it's like, how does control and the stimulation go hand in hand? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Ephesians 5, that, whole, that fullness of the Spirit, it is being contrasted with being drunk. Uh, the opposite of being drunk or, you know, reckless indiscretion, debauchery, excess. It's this Greek word that means to be wasted. Not like, oh, you're wasted, dude. Not like that, but exhausted or spent. See, a, a mark of a people that are full of God's spirit is this life of balance and authenticity and refinement and self-control. Like a drunk person, they are completely out of control of their time and the reality of the world that's even around them. Their judgment is off. They think they can do things they can't actually do. They think they're better at doing things than they actually are. You can go and watch YouTube videos of people blasting their toes off with a shotgun or driving their ATV into a ditch or jumping off a roof and landing on concrete. Well, right before they go, hey, here my, here, hold my beer. Hey, y'all, watch this. And then they jump off because they think they can do something they cannot actually do. A spirit-filled person, on the other hand, is someone who is in control and they're able to understand and judge their own limitations. It's a life of discipline and balance and refinement. Now, I have a friend who is a pastor at a church that many people would label spirit-filled. He comes from a very charismatic background. And I love asking him questions. Uh, other people, if I asked these questions, they would think I was confrontational. He doesn't because he's my friend. And you know, I, loves, I love him and he loves me. And he asks me questions about Element as well. But we get to talk about things like this. And so I was kind of talking to him about this a couple years ago before we even put this together. But about this idea of reckless indiscretion or debauchery or excess. And, and this whole idea of don't get drunk on wine. Because in his church, alcohol is considered to be a sin. But he likes beer. I'm not out him to his church, j- just to you. Anyway, uh, so when we talk about this reckless indiscretion or, or being spent or burnt out, I asked him about this. I said, because it seems to me, and I said, and, and I just want to know from your perspective as a pastor in a church like this, that there are a lot of people who claim to be filled with the Spirit, and it, yet it looks like a spiritual high, and on the other side of it, when they leave services or wherever they were, they just seem so exhausted. They seem so burnt out. And I said, is that what you think the fullness of the Spirit is? Does it exhaust you? Because to me, it looks like emotionalism. And then he goes, why don't you tell me a little more about that? Because he doesn't just answer the question right away. You know, he wants to get more information from me to see if I'll, I don't know, go too far. I don't know. So I'm going to say it to you probably better than I actually said to him. But I talked about Ephesians 5. And I said, you know, where people get drunk and, and that kind of wears off and they're, and they're really tired. Like, uh, you know, being drunk makes people feel good for a while, you know, but the next day you might have a headache or you might be sick to your stomach or if you have a great immune system, you still might drag the next day a little bit. And I said, I've seen so many people insisting that they're at a thing and they were filled with the spirit and they get a, a, a high or a mob experience kind of coming together. I might have used the word hysteria and I didn't mean that derogatorily, but it could sound that way. And I said, but the fact is it wears off. And the people seem to be so much worse off than before. And they start to look for the next spiritual high that's higher than the one that they just had. I said, I said, how, I said can you explain to me how that is a real experience of the Holy Spirit? And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, I can't. And I have the same fears and frustrations that you do. And the point wasn't that he agreed with me. It's that God's Spirit does something in the people of God. And yet so often we mistake what that is. And when you look at the scripture, what we see is that God's spirit, what he does is he moves us to see the world more the way that he does. He grows us in ways that we understand what the gospel is of of knowing and following Christ. That's a mark of the spirit. 
Some churches will run the opposite direction of a charismatic church, and they will say, you need to be here every time we're open at every Bible study that we do. If you have the Spirit, you're going to want to be here. And I think, well, my goodness, I must not have the Spirit because I don't want to be at church all the time. And, and sometimes that's just as bad. If we are always a people who are running into things, we're always exhausted. And I'm not saying we can't get tired as we work with and for God himself, but anything that is driven by our ego or other people's expectations, it is not the Spirit. And anything that is not the Spirit is going to drive us into the ground. There is a life and a vitality that comes from life with God's Spirit. with God's presence being in us. And human beings, we cannot manufacture that on our own. Drunkenness exhausts us. The Spirit of God, it revives us. The fullness of God's Spirit in us is a spiritual reality. Drunkenness gets us out of touch with who we really are, but being filled with the Spirit gets us completely in touch with who God is actually calling us to be as a people. We must understand that one of the marks of a spirit-filled life is understanding who we are in Christ himself. There is a refinement. There is a control that comes along with that. And that may not be always what you've heard. But second, even more important than that, the Spirit of God also acts in our lives like a stimulant. Going back to the don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit, why do people drink? And I talked about this last week a little bit. Some people drink for joy. Some people drink for companionship. Some people to drink to forget their problems. You know, some for vulnerability. It's like many people can only be open and honest with others when they've had a couple drinks in them. Some people it's for courage. But how does alcohol give people that? Well, alcohol is a depressant. It's a depressant. And but why, if it's a depressant, why are so many people who drink seem to be happy all the time? Well, we misunderstand depressant. What depressant does is it depresses certain areas of our brain. It starts to show us less of reality. It knocks out certain centers in our minds so we don't see all the ramifications of what's going on. And it starts to skew reality just a little bit. And that's, I think, why Paul uses that analogy of drunkenness as being the opposite of being filled with the Spirit of God. Because what God's Spirit does is He stimulates us to actually see more of reality, to see what is actually there. The Spirit of God is like a stimulant. He heightens our minds and our hearts to be aware of things that we may not have been aware of before. He heightens our grasp of what's really happening. And there are lots of places in the Bible that actually talks about this. One of my favorites is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Paul prays this for these people, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is what the Spirit brings. That with those words there, may know, it means that we would understand the power of God, the hope of our calling, that we would know it better and deeper than we ever have before. Paul talks to these people who already know they have an inheritance. They already have the Spirit living in them or they wouldn't be Christians, but Paul is praying that the Spirit would make that more and more pronounced every single day of their lives. That's how we become changed. It's kind of like how the sun comes out and eclipses the stars. Using the metaphor of Paul and drunkenness and alcohol and, and all this. Imagine your, your life is like nighttime. And all the stars are out. And all the stars represent different things in your life. Your kids, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your lack of boyfriend, girlfriend, your car, your job, COVID. All these things are like the stars that are shining down. And what does alcohol do? Well, alcohol gets you to not look at the stars. It suppresses it so you look the other way and you're not looking up at those things. What does the Spirit of God do instead? Well, the Spirit of God 
like the sun that comes out. And it is brighter than all of the stars and it eclipses everything. Not by getting you not to look at them, but to understand who God himself is. And God's spirit is like, yes, all these things are still there. All these things are going on. But you can trust me in the midst of it. God is actually in control. And that is what reality is. The truth of God's love outshines the stars of whatever is around us. The spirit of God shows us the love of God in such a way that rejection and failure and hurt and pain and COVID and all of it isn't the brightest light. He outshines them all. Yes, some people lose their jobs. Uh, Relationships fall apart. Your favorite rock singer starts a country band, whatever. And many people go out and get drunk to cope with all of the issues. And, but getting drunk, it doesn't have, just have to be booze. There are all sorts of ways that people try and solve their problems by depressing reality. Uh, some people will have an affair. Some people will go shopping. Some people will try and burn down their life. It is all some form of drunkenness. But what does God's Spirit do? He stimulates us. He moves us to see the reality of what life is. He calls us to lift up our eyes to see what God himself is actually doing. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's what he does. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3 helps us to understand the fullness of the Spirit. Let the word dwell in you richly. That means the word of God becomes rich inside of us. Why? Because the Spirit wrote the scriptures. The Spirit makes them alive to us. The fullness of the Spirit, it is meant to be emotional. It is a deep experience. And when people say things like, well, just claim the fullness of the Spirit. Well, they don't understand it because you already have it. You don't have to claim anything. It's been given to you. But the fullness of the Spirit is more than just emotion, but it's also not less. It's how God moves us in our entire being. It is our our heart, our will, our emotions, our intellect all at once. The fullness of the Spirit is deep and emotional. It's a heart experience. And there are some times we will feel it more than we will feel it than other times. But we have to understand that the Spirit of God is always going to be taking us back to the Scriptures, to the Word of God, because He wrote those. And that's what's important. In the midst of maybe having all kinds of things go on, that's how He's going to shine even brighter, which leads us to the last thing I want to hit. And that is, how does the Spirit speak to us? How does the Spirit lead us? And sometimes people, they get all kinds of stuff going on in their lives. And they say, I've been praying and I can't hear God leading. I don't, I don't know what God is doing. Well, you know what we do? We read the scriptures. Because the scriptures, when we can't hear anything, it is written to us in black and white from God himself so we can actually know how God is leading. The Spirit leads us to the scriptures. Years ago, there's a book by a man named Robert Baxter. He was part of a movement called the Irvingites, named after their founder. And they believed that they needed to get more in touch with God's Spirit, that God's Spirit was going to lead them in all these places. Now, Robert Baxter was a lawyer, and he said that when he began to feel God's Spirit moving in him, he felt like God's Spirit was telling him that he needed to stand up in the middle of one of his trials and just start preaching in the middle of the trial. He said when he felt God's Spirit leading and moving him, he thought that God's Spirit was calling him to be a missionary and to leave his wife and his children behind. And he goes, now this was really weird because I didn't think that this is what the Bible said, because 
because they weren't really reading the Bible. They were just, you know, praying and going, oh, Spirit, give me these things. Tell me what you want me to do. So he goes, I actually decided to read the Bible, and, which is a good place to start, really, in anything that, that we do. And so he begins to study the Bible, and he realizes that the, the Spirit does, first and foremost, by definition, is he takes the truth and he makes it shine. That's what the Spirit is going to do. John 16, 14, Jesus says, Of the Spirit, He will glorify me, but He will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is part of the mission of the Spirit, which we'll actually talk about next week. But the purpose of the Spirit, He comes, and He takes the words of God, and He makes them shine. That, Like the, the sun comes out, like I said, and all the things in our lives that have bothered us or threatened us or tried to control us are gone. And so Baxter writes that he started to realize that the Spirit doesn't work against the Word of God. He doesn't do that. And so when the Bible says love is courteous, why would he get up in the middle of a courtroom and then disturb the entire thing? Why would he interrupt it? And if the Bible says you're supposed to love your spouse and take care of your children, why would he go off and leave them to be a missionary somewhere? He says, and what he actually writes, his words were he settled down when he started to realize and actually read the scriptures. Now, I am not saying the Spirit doesn't bring and work through our emotions. He does. And I'm also not saying on the other side that it's all a bunch of head knowledge because it's not. What it is is it works together, our heads and our hearts, because God has made us to work a certain way. And I'm not even going to talk about tongues or healing or all that kind of stuff because that's really secondary to what the fullness of the Spirit is and brings. What we are talking about is this refinement, this control, this authenticity that the Spirit of God brings. It brings in us a love for the Word of God. And I really wish I could be so much more simpler than we have been these last four weeks so far to make it so much easier to understand. I could just give you like the three steps, and after the three steps, you're like, good, I'm in, I got more of the Spirit. No, but to be filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word is the same things. And that means it's a relationship that we develop. And if you've ever been in a relationship, you know after time, it needs to be developed. You spend time with one another. You, you listen to what each other says. You walk with one another. And that's what we do with God's Spirit. And there are books out there that people write about all these weird and bizarre things that happen in the Spirit. But I will tell you, if those experiences don't create a greater love for God's Word and for Jesus, it's all self-seeking and it is not the Spirit. What God's Spirit does is He longs to lead us in our normal, average, everyday, mundane lives. Because as we live this life with Him, we will actually learn to experience more and more His leading and more and more of the trusting of the Word of God. A couple of weeks ago, Michael in the Talking Element said, You know, how, how do you know, how do I know if it's just me or if it's the Holy Spirit? Uh, talking to me and asking me to, to do something. And I thought about it, and I said, I really think it comes down to, many times, is it, is it self-aggrandizing or is it selfless? Because God's Spirit leads us to glorify and honor Christ and not ourselves, and God's Spirit is always going to point us back to the gospel. And if those are the places where God is leading, then I would say that's the Spirit leading as being a selfless people, understanding the Word of God, being those who step out of ourselves and out of the places that, that we think God has to do this thing or react this way or give me this or give me that, and settle down and simply be a people who understand that God comes and He brings this ultimate control as we understand who He is and what He has done, and He stimulates us to then understand the Word of God and be excited about the things that God is doing. 
and that he will take those things and then move us out into the world as his hands and feet to the world around us. That we will begin to live as a people who are filled with his spirit by how we go out in selflessness and love those around us by steering everybody and everything back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. To God's rescue of us as a people. This is what the Father points to. This is what the Spirit points to. And this is what the Son points to. God's rescue of his people in Christ himself. And I think if we're going to be a people who step into this world who is so spiritually hungry for something and everything they run to, they just keep getting let down because it's all about them and them working out all of these things. We can step into that and say, you know what? It's not about you. It's not about all the things you're running towards or working towards. It's that God has stepped toward you and called you to himself. And God's spirit, I believe, starts working on people's hearts. And when they're searching and looking, that's God drawing people to himself. And we can then step in with the truth and reality that God brings because we have been filled with the spirit to understand his words better. We then get to step into their lives and speak of the truth and the rescue of God's gospel that is given to us. And this is one of the reasons that Element, every week we, you know, when we're in a room together, we talk about communion. But even in your homes, it's important to understand this idea of what communion is. It is that we come to a place where we remember what Jesus did to rescue and save us. This is, this is why every week, you know, we have you take a cracker or a piece of bread or grape juice or some wine, wherever you are. And it's a reminder of Christ's body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. Because this is a reminder of what God has done to rescue us. In Christ, God took away all that stood between us and him and us and one another. So that we can truly become spiritually alive. And that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we now get to be filled by his spirit. We now get to have an experience of living in relationship with God day by day. And yes, some days it feels much closer than others, and some days we just can't believe how close we feel with God himself. But that is the Spirit leading and guiding us through all these different places, and we trust him where he leads. Because my prayer for you is that the great love of God would outshine everything else in your life that you wouldn't have to ignore the pain of the different things that are taking place around you, but the love of God would so eclipse it, that you could walk through those hard struggles and understand God's great grace. That is something the Spirit brings. And if you need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where you're feeling overwhelmed by a lot of stuff, and you want God's great light to overshadow all of those things, well, we'd love to be able to pray with you. You can send prayer requests to prayer.element.org. Uh, you can send it to connectedourelement.org. You can put it on the side of the live stream if you'd like, and we would love to pray for you. Um, we would love you to grab the, the sermon notes that we have for today and talk to one another through a lot of these questions to go deeper with one another as we kind of talk about this fullness of being filled with the Spirit versus all the other things that we've always heard about being filled with the Spirit is. But what is the reality, you know, the, the foundation of us being a people as living as a Spirit-filled people? What does that actually look like? And talk about that with one another. And another thing that being spirit-filled actually does is it makes us a generous people. So we always give you the opportunity to give it element because giving is simply part of our worship. We are a generous, loving, serving, giving, hopeful people because our God has brought us great hope by loving and giving to us first. So let's be a people who settle down a bit and trust God's spirit as he leads and guides us because God himself is good. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would 
take us and help us to understand the depth of what it means to really be filled with the Spirit. And in our culture today, Father, we know that many times, you know, we want the three easy steps to get this thing done. And we just want the, the way this looks on the external so that we would look great to everybody else. But God, I ask that you would begin to change that in us. Have us be a people who want a relationship with you that is deep and profound. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would fill us in such ways that our relationship with you would grow and deepen as we walk with you day by day, that you would lead us through all the things that we go through, that you would take us to the places that we would understand and on the darkest moments that we feel that your light still outshines all of that. And all the things that we go through would ultimately be eclipsed by your love that is given to us. We thank you for constantly steering us back to the gospel and Christ's death and resurrection for us. And we ask that you would continue to teach us to grow in our understanding of what the gospel is. That you would teach us to love you and worship you as you are. And that we would understand that the leading and guidance that you bring into our lives is for the purpose of growing us and bringing you glory so that we would truly begin to be your people in this world that live in spirit-filled ways. And we ask all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.